The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Uh, g'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the City Bible Forum. Uh, it's good to have you here in North Sydney at the Greenwood uh, Hotel. It's a beautiful day, uh, so thank you for joining us today. Uh, if you're a regular, welcome back. Uh, if it's your first time amongst us, of course, it's great to have you here today and I hope that you might uh, introduce yourself and let us know that you're here. Uh, my name's Ken West and I uh, MC these meetings and our speaker today is Ian Powell, Ian's series at the moment is on a subject of Love, God and Other Small Things, which is quite an ironic title because love and God are some of the largest things that people think about. Today we're covering the topic of divorce, which uh, affects many of us personally and can be quite a difficult topic to uh, even raise. So uh, I hope that we deal with that in a way that's helpful and interesting and, and profitable for you. If you look at the seat nearby, you should find that you've got an outline for today. On the inside of that, on the left-hand side, is uh, it says Matthew 19. This is a short paragraph uh, from Matthew's account of Jesus' life. I'm going to read that now, and I'll hand over to Ian, who will speak for about 20, 25 minutes. At the end of that time, we'll throw it open to questions. And the way we'll do that is if you, uh, if you want to just call out your question, Ian will repeat that back and attempt to answer it. Of course, uh, given that we are talking about divorce, you might be a bit uncomfortable about shouting out your question. Uh, you'll notice that inside your outline there are small slips of paper. You could write your question on that, wave it at me, make sure you get my eye, and I'll, I'll pass it on to Ian. Uh, we also hope to, because uh, this is a, we're meeting a bit early, to grab a bit of lunch afterwards. So if you're free and you want to just have chill out and, and grab a bite to eat, it'd be great to, uh, to do that with you. Let me read and hand over to Ian, who will speak for us. Now, when Jesus had finished this instruction... He departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. So why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. And I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. Thanks, Ian. I could have high-jumped the core, but I wouldn't want to show off like that. Hi, um, well, they say fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And this is... Uh, this is an important and difficult area. Well, is it? it at one level, it's, it's difficult 
for Christians, it's painful for all people involved in divorce, whether it's your divorce or the divorce of someone close to you. But uh, I think our society probably thinks it's more straightforward than many Christians might feel it is. I remember when my wife left me, a, a friend I'd known for a gazillion years came and was trying to comfort me. But um, he was quite useless, in fact quite annoying, but I didn't slap him because he was asking me to view marriage as he viewed it. And I said to him a few times, Pete, I don't, that's your view of marriage, that's okay, but that's not my view. We, live in, we actually inhabit quite different worlds. And so um, the Christian view of marriage, which might actually be God's view of marriage, is radically different from our cultures. It looks similar on the outside, but if you get under the bonnet, it's quite different. Well, let's have a look at, uh, as, as anyone interested in what God actually says, uh, not for me to share you a few of my thoughts and experiences, that might be interesting, but it won't actually do you a great deal of good. But let's do what Jesus would do. Whenever Jesus is asked a question, he goes back to the Bible. So, to go back to the Bible, did you know, for example, that according to the Bible, God is a divorcee? Funny word, divorcee. I had to, I, that was used of me about three weeks ago for the first time, I think. And I thought, I've never thought of myself as a divorcee. I really only hear those words in Rolling Stone songs and things like that. But, um, but a divorcee is someone who has gone through a divorce. Did you know that God had been divorced? Or he had actually divorced someone? Let me quote to you from Jeremiah chapter 3. Uh, he says this. Just, I'll just dip straight in. You can just have to bear with me about the context. God says this. It was because unfaithful Israel had committed adultery that I sent her away and had given her a certificate of divorce. Very interesting. Uh, because we, we, as you can see from the passages you've got there in the Old Testament, the first one, Deuteronomy, God commands that if an Israeli man sends his wife away in divorce, he gives her a certificate of divorce. And God pictures himself as divorcing 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. You might know that the nation of Israel is made up of 12 tribes ruled together. And 10 of them became known as the house of Israel and they were sent off into exile and were wiped out. And God describes it here as sending his wife away and giving her a certificate of divorce. So God is in this moment portrayed as a divorcee. And yet, perhaps one of the most famous or infamous verses about divorce in the Bible is this statement, also from the Old Testament, from the book of Malachi. God speaking again, and he says this. Uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. He says, I, the Lord, hate divorce. I, the Lord, hate divorce. It's worth just clarifying something there. There's all the difference in the world between God saying, I hate divorce and I hate people who've been divorced. I remember preaching on this passage many years ago in a church I was at and I spent a lot of time, we had a number of people in that church who'd been divorced. Spent a lot of time just making sure they weren't thinking that God is saying, I can't stand people who've been divorced. In fact, if you talk to most people who've gone through a divorce, they also hate divorce. It's not as if people who've been divorced are like people who've gone to England. Oh, I like going to England. That was fun. Let's do it again. Most people who've been through divorce hate it. 
with the visceral feeling of it that people who might just watch it from the outside don't. So it's worth, it's just interesting to notice that the God who sends Jesus is both a divorcee and is someone who says that he hates divorce. He hates that final terminating endpoint of a marriage. You might also know that the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus, was herself very nearly divorced. When Joseph, her husband, who was betrothed to her, that is, it's, it's where you've made the promises of marriage but aren't yet living together, when he heard that his young bride-to-be was pregnant, it says because he was a righteous man, you can read this in Matthew chapter 1, he intended to divorce her quietly. That is, he was terribly hurt by it, he was betrayed by the fact that she clearly had sex with someone apart from him and he hadn't had sex with her, so he was going to divorce her. But because he was a good man, he was going to do it quietly. He wasn't going to hold her up to public disgrace, but there was an intervention and he didn't. Now, as, as some of you will know, four or five years ago, my wife left me. It was a, uh, an enormous surprise. We'd never talked about divorce or anything like that. Um, I won't bore you with the story, uh, and I'm not sure if I could tell it fairly anyhow, really. Um, but uh, she left me four or five years ago. It was a great shock. And then a year after that, when legally she could, I was then subsequently divorced. I argued gently against it. There's no point arguing passionately against it because that would have just um, been counterproductive. I argued as gently but as firmly as I could. I didn't think that was the way forward. Whatever problems there were in the marriage could be solved in other ways. One solution to a, a marriage that's got some problems in it is to shoot it. Another possibility is to seek its healing. That was the option I thought we should go for. Uh, so I went through this experience that, frankly, I had never, up until the very night she left, it had never crossed my mind I would ever go through. It was a complete shock. But I knew on the night that she left, that was it. Interestingly, a number of her friends thought, no, 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 she's, you, know, you can heal this. They, they didn't know her as I knew her. I knew that barring an absolute miracle, when she left, that was it. There was no second thoughts going to be had about this relationship. So it was interesting going through the experience and then going back to the Bible and seeing what the Bible says with fresh eyes. And I was somewhat disappointed to discover that I learnt nothing, really. The Bible said what it always seemed to say, the Bible's teaching on this is fairly clear, the revolutionary, probably more revolutionary in the time it was given than it is now. So let's have a look at what Jesus actually does and doesn't say about this. Now, there's about six verses in the Bible that specifically touch on the question of divorce and therefore the question that comes after that immediately, which is a remarriage. We're only going to have a look at... The, we're going to look at what I think are the major ones and hopefully leave some time for questions. Have a look at the middle one. I'd like to start at Deuteronomy 24 so we get the historical sweep. We've only got a few minutes. Let's have a look first at what Jesus says, although he does refer back to Deuteronomy 24. Matthew 19. When Jesus finished his instruction, he departed from Galilee, went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. And they asked him, here's the test. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any grounds? Now, it's, it's worth noticing here. Jesus does not say... Fellas, sit down, get your pencils out. I'm going to teach you everything I want you to know about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What's happening here is that a pack of smart alecks 
a hostile group of religious people, the Pharisees, very, very devout men, very, very educated men. They come to Jesus to test him, to put him to the test, to expose him. Now, they do this often in the Gospels. Jesus probably more often than not receives hostile questions than friendly questions. Uh, You'll know what that's like. I remember a guy discovered I was a Christian. They said, right, he said, I want to ask you a few questions. And, And it was interesting. I was being tested. He wanted to know my view about refugees. And clearly if I gave the wrong answer, I was eh, not going to talk to you. Um, and it's like that. He's, they're, they're putting him to the test. And they want to know this. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Now they're not asking, is it right to divorce your wife? That was a given that you could divorce your wife. As it is, I think it's true to say, in every single culture. Um, they're not asking that. They're asking... What are the grounds got to be for it to be a valid divorce? And they're actually quoting someone. We know this very clearly from the Jewish writings that are around the time of Jesus, that, that Jesus is being pulled into a, a, a quite passionate debate that was going on amongst Jewish rabbis. And I want to quote you from a Jewish writing, the Mishnah, which will tell you about what these guys said. The two great schools that... Um, here it is. The house of Shimei, who was a a rabbi, says, a man must not divorce his wife unless he has found her to be unfaithful, as was said in Deuteronomy, because he hath found some uncleanness in her. The house of Hillel says, he may divorce her if she only spoilt a dish for him, because it was said, uncleanness in anything. Rabbi Akibar says, he may divorce her if he found another that is more beautiful than his wife. Because it was said in Deuteronomy, if it came to pass that she found no favour in his eyes. Right. So there, were, there was a debate going on amongst the Jewish rabbis at the time. Uh, that is, not can you get divorced, they all knew you could get divorced. Partly because of Deuteronomy 24. And also Exodus 21 also speaks about divorce in the Old Testament. The question is, what makes a valid divorce? What is the legitimate grounds to bring a, a marriage to an end? And Rabbi Hillel was by far, there's some sticky, some chewing gum here. Um, at least I can't move around anyhow like some American preacher. I'm stuck to the floor here. Um, Rabbi Hillel was the most popular of the day, and I think we can see why for the blokes. Because Rabbi Hillel said that God didn't mind if you divorced your wife if you found anything unpleasing about her. And the example he gave, quite unashamedly, is if she burnt the dinner. You know, if you're waiting for your favourite sausages, you know, on you know Wednesday night at sausage night, so you're expecting your favourite sausages, and your wife burnt the sausages, that was considered sufficient grounds to give her the flick, get a new wife. Shimei, who was much less popular, and you can see why for the men, said, no, 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 there's got to be an objective uncleanness about her. And it's a very strong word in the Hebrew that comes from the Deuteronomy 24 something unclean, something that was shameful that she had done, not something moderately disappointing. And Rabbi Shimei was the much more conservative figure. He was saying, no, 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 divorce is a, you know, must only be a last resort. And they had a list of things, like if she'd made a vow to God publicly and broken it, if she fed you food that had not been tithed, that it was unclean religiously, or if she had gone out of the house with her hair flowing... Uh, and spoke to men in public, which I guess in our culture would be a husband hears 
that when he gets home from a business trip, his wife has been dressing in very sexually revealing and provocative clothes and been going and spending time in wine bars at King's Cross. It would be that sort of, gee, that's a bit, I don't know what the equivalent, Frank, uh, for, for what a woman and her husband would be, but it's that sort of quite sexually provocative act. And then, of course, Rabbi Akbar, who's, who's just a bit after Jesus, who takes Hillel's view even further and says, if you just find a prettier woman, that's okay. And that really is what Jesus is hammering here and in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Because what the Jewish men of Jesus' day were doing was this. They were saying, we're going to obey God. We're married to this woman. We're a bit tired of this woman. You know, we've got over the being in love. We're just getting a bit bored. We found this prettier thing at work. She respects me a lot more and treats me with a lot more respect because she doesn't know you. And, and so it feels much better for the ego. And uh, she only sees you at your best when you're looking good at work, whereas your wife sees you when you get home and sloppy, etc. And so in the end, um, I'm going to trade her in, get a new wife, get a fresh wife. And so they had to say, well, we can do it because Moses says in Deuteronomy 24, what you do, what Moses says, that you have to find something shameful. There was something that was sort of objective. You could write it down. She has done this and this. And so that was the debate. Jesus gets brought into that question by people who don't really want to know an answer. This is not people who are saying, we really want to know what God thinks. They basically found a really clever way to get out of the long-termness of marriage. So they come to Jesus. They want to know basically, are you a Shimai, are you a conservative, bit dull, or are you a Hillel, the way of the future? Jesus answers in verse 4, Haven't you read, He who created them in the beginning made them male and female. He also said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The word there is glued to, cemented to. It's like um, wood that's been joined properly into each other. It's become almost one structure. Uh, that he'll be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Let not man separate. So that's not the answer they wanted. What Jesus basically says is, he says, you know, I'm not going to talk with you about legal possibilities of how to get out. He said, do you remember what God had in mind when he set up marriage? It was to be a lifelong union and what God has joined together into a team let no human being put asunder. Let not one of them walk away. Let not someone else try to tempt someone to walk away. But keep the team together. They don't like that answer, so they come back in verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? And this is one of the things that religious people can do, where they can misquote the Bible and twist it by leaving out key sentences. Because God doesn't, Moses does not command people to divorce. Go back up to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something improper about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, send it to her, and send her away from his house. So he says, if you find something, and this word is, a, it's, a, it's a, the word that this Hebrew phrase, um, something improper, it's, probably not including adultery because adultery was a separate thing. Adultery was a death sentence. But he's saying, if you find something, kind of anything short of sexual intercourse, but really just very inappropriate goings on, you may divorce her. 
But if you divorce her, you must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, we've got truckloads of those from the ancient world. The certificates women, Jewish women were given by their husbands when they were sent off to divorce. We know exactly what they said around the time of Jesus. Uh, so Moses does not say, I command you to send these women away. He says, if you do it, here's how you must do it. What's the, what's the big deal here? It may seem odd. It's actually, as far as the scholars can tell, this is quite a lovely thing that's happening. Let me compare it to this. With the law of Hammurabi, who's a Babylonian king, who has, many of you will have heard of, who has a series of laws. We're not quite sure how to divide them up. Um, there's hundreds of them. I was reading them this week. They're almost all to do with property. Uh, and they're all mostly to do with protecting the rich from the poor. Um, but with Hammurabi's law of divorce, if a, bloke, if a bloke got tired of his wife, he could just leave her or send her out of the house. And she doesn't know, are they playing no talkies for a few weeks while, while they calm down? If he takes up a living with some other woman... She doesn't know if the marriage is over or not. So she'll get on with her business, looking after her kids, making whatever money she can through agriculture and buying and selling and making things. But at any time in the future, the bloke can come back and reclaim her, which means that she cannot remarry. No one will remarry this woman because there's no proof that the marriage is over. You see the problem that was for women? It meant that they were never... If they made money, and this is what we know happened, if they got rich through their own hard work, the bloke would come back and say, good, you're my wife. Everything you've got's mine. Or if, the guy, if someone else married her, the bloke would come back and say, no, that marriage is invalid. In Babylonian law, she's still married to me. So what, what God says through Moses is quite lovely. He says, no, 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 no. If you, if you plan on divorcing her, you must give it to her in writing so that she can show to people, I haven't left my husband I'm not, you know, living some modern dream. Uh, I've been divorced. And the words that are actually said on the divorce certificate were these. In, in, in everyone except one, we've got these words. Lo, thou art free to marry any man you wish. The only one we found that's different says this. Lo, thou art free to marry any Jewish man. All right, so... The whole notion of being divorced freed you from marriage, which then meant you were therefore obviously free to remarry. It was implicit in the whole understanding of what a divorce was. Now, the argument Jesus was having with his contemporaries was they were saying, any old ground will do. Jesus comes out with an extremely conservative position, saying no. In fact, look at verse 9. Verse 8 will do. Jesus contradicts them. Moses permitted you to divorce. See, this is an important difference. They say Moses commanded us. He says Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Why? Because of the hardness of your hearts. He says the problem with marriages is, that, is the heart of human beings. We're hard-hearted creatures. We hold grudges. Use the dunny. You can come through. Sorry. Sorry. That, that wasn't in the notes. He just looked anxious. But it was not like this from the beginning. Here's the, key, here's the answer in a sense to their question. Verse 9, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So this whole clever system that the Jewish men of the time of Jesus had worked out, that they could, they could commit adultery 
by just getting rid of their wife. So if they found a woman that they would prefer to be with, they didn't commit adultery, they simply divorced her. And then they're with the woman. And then when they got tired of her, they divorced her. And they're with the next woman. Now this happens in various countries around the world now, where there'll be religious men who will come and marry you to a woman for a night. And then when you've had... Basically, it's how prostitution works in in Islamic culture. So you can be a good uh, Islamic man, travel. If you've only got one wife at home, they'll have an imam there who'll marry you. And lots of Muslims would find this appalling, but this is what happens in Sydney and in other places. The imam will marry you. You'll have sex with the prostitute for a night or two. And then when it's time to go home, he will then divorce you and you go on your way. They... This is, this is how they think they outsmart God. Okay? Oh, I can't have sex with a prostitute. That would be adultery. Aha! Uh-huh. We'll have a little marriage service and then we'll get a little divorce and God won't know what's going on. We'll have outsmarted him. Ah, ah, ah. I don't think so. Right? And it's what religious people do. They get the rules and they think, gee, God's a killjoy. How can I get around the rules but still look as if I'm a good man? Right? Well, that's what they were doing then was a different system than what's happening with some religious people in our world now, but it wasn't all that dissimilar. I'll divorce the dull wife. I'm sorry, in our days it goes as much the other way around, but in those days only the man did the divorcing pretty much. So he's saying, if you do that, you're an adulterer. You've broken the seventh command, no matter how much you may think you're clean and in the clear. Look at his disciples' response. It's always interesting to see the response of the disciples. They are appalled by what Jesus said. The disciples said to Jesus, if the relationship of man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. They're saying, if we can't use these clever tricks to get out of a marriage, and marriage really is from now until death us do part, better not to get married. And I think there's a level at which, if you don't hear the seriousness of Jesus' teaching, that when you get married, I say this to couples that I prepare for marriage, I say, you know, you may, you may take out a 25-year mortgage to buy a house. You could sign that without a second thought. That is a completely trivial arrangement. You can break that arrangement and all you've done is lost some money. It's nothing compared to the promise that you make to love and cherish and honour a husband or a wife until you're parted by death. That's much more serious, particularly when God cares if you keep that promise. So that's where Jesus says very clearly what, what Moses allows is divorce. And Jesus does not argue with Moses' take on it. He argues with people's misuse of Moses. It's what he does in the Sermon on the Mount too. Some people in Matthew 5 don't, don't listen carefully and they, they, they think Jesus is drawing a contrast between Moses' teaching on marriage and his. He's not. He does not say, it is written and quotes Moses and says, but I say to you, He says, you have heard it said. It's what they're saying. It's the same argument going on here. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you use a shabby understanding of legitimate grounds for divorce as an excuse to commit adultery, you're just committing adultery. Now, 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul is here dealing with non-Jews, where Christianity is exploding out of its Jewish uh, origin, and its Jewish homeland, and it's now embracing Greeks and Romans and Parthians and Egyptians and Indians and all sorts of people as it did in the first hundred years. And they had problems with someone who might be, one person might become a Christian, but their partner doesn't. Um, 
And I've, I've had friends where that's happened and their partner said, that's it, baby, I'm out of here. You're a bit of a jerk. I didn't like you. But if you become religious and Christian, that's the last straw. Uh, I've had friends who were divorced from their partners and they became Christians and they realized they needed to go and try and heal the relationship. And one of them, his wife said, look, you were a jerk when you weren't a Christian. You'll be worse now that you're a Christian. Just don't even get, I am not, I'm not going to ponder coming back. So this was going on in the first, in the first couple of years. So 1 Corinthians 7. I command the married, not I but the Lord, a wife is not to leave a husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. A husband is not to leave his wife. I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she's willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he's willing to live with her, she must not leave her. So what, what he's saying is, if you're married to an unbeliever, that is no grounds for you to walk away. The marriage matters to God. But if the other, if the other party leaves, look at verse 15. If the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or a sister is in his an important phrase, is not bound in such cases. Now these are exactly the words used on divorce certificates, that a husband or a wife was no longer bound. They were free to marry whoever. And what the Apostle Paul here is saying is, the Christian ought not to break up the marriage, but if, if they are deserted, they are free. So, uh, let me bring it to some sort of conclusion before we have questions. Basically about divorce, let me put it this way. God allows what he hates in order to receive some good from a bad situation. Divorce is never a victory. Divorce is always a tragedy. It's, it's a bit like the amputation of a limb. Right? It, it might save the patient, but it's always a terrible tragedy. It's never a good idea. Divorce, it's, it's an interesting experience being divorced. I mean, it's not all that interesting, but it's had some interesting moments. I remember being in a church where there was a lady who was divorced. Her husband had terribly betrayed her. It was crystal clear that she was, the, if ever there was an innocent party, she was it. She used to talk to me about once a month, I think, after church. You know, Christian people, they just don't handle divorce things well. And I listened with some sympathy for the first five or six years. But as time went on, I began to think, I think this is, I think this is in her head. And having now been divorced, I, I'm even sure now that's what happens. I feel sometimes as a divorced person a, a bit ashamed, a bit embarrassed. I suppose it might be a bit like someone who's been bankrupt. He was a public venture of marriage and family and mine has failed. And people will judge you for it or even if they don't judge you, you think they are. You think that they're thinking, boy, if you'd been a decent husband, she would never have left. Now, I said to some Christian people who said that to me quite kindly, can you think of anywhere where the Bible speaks like that? Now, it's a possibility, isn't it? If a wife leaves a husband or a husband leaves a wife, it's at least a possibility that the other person is a complete violent jerk. But you can't make some sort of law or rule out of that. Unless you're willing to say that, God's problem with Israel was he was a pretty crappy lover and husband. Because the parallel between God and his people and husbands and wives is explicit and repeated all the way through the Bible. So you do have... I remember when I stopped wearing my wedding ring. I had a number of friends say to me, Ian, stop wearing the ring. I said, he, he said the marriage is over. Your wife has divorced you. She's had other you know, boyfriends, etc. It's over. Just 
It's just a form of denial to keep wearing it. I said, no, but I believe in marriage. So yeah, but you might believe in the marriage, but it's over. And I think they were right. But I found myself having taken it off, sitting at a few meetings, hiding my finger. It was, I, just, I was doing it almost unconsciously. And a few people have said when I speak about marriage, they see me going like this, which I don't think I do anymore. And there's a level of shame and embarrassment in the fact of this great public failure. Look, I, I really have got a lot more stuff I'd like to say, but I really should shut up so we've got some time for specific questions on this question of divorce and remarriage. One last comment. I can't resist. The only person that I'm aware of that Jesus reveals the fact that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised king in the whole of John's gospel is a woman who Jesus says, you've had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. And it's very interesting in John 4 seeing the enormously respectful way Jesus treats her and actually reveals to her something he does not reveal, I don't think, to almost anyone else. There's probably one or two. I haven't had a chance to to check that out today because my computer was having trouble uh, today. I wanted to make doubly sure of that. But if you read it, here's a woman who, she's had five husbands, so he's not saying only the first one is real. All the five ones are real husbands. But he does say, but the one you're with now, she's obviously not married, it's a de facto thing. And yet Jesus' treatment of her is quite beautiful and wonderful. I'm going to shut up. Any questions, you can ask them from the floor or you can write them out and and, uh, Ken will pick them up for you. Okay? Well, I'll pretend there was a question. Can I talk for another minute, Ken? I was at a suburb that will remain nameless in case you know these people. I was having a cup of coffee with one of my daughters and with my fiancée. And uh, there was a couple crossing the road and I've rarely ever seen a woman who looked quite so frail. Her legs had no muscle at all, no shape at all. She was leaning on her husband, I presume, in a way that was quite clear. If she didn't lean on him, she'd have fallen over. He was holding her up. And she was, and my daughter said, they live in my units. And she said, um, if you look at her, she looks as if she's talking, but she's not. And she, did, she just, her mouth just keeps moving. And she looks very frail, lots of beautiful white hair. The husband had a look of, of the most beautiful attentiveness to her. It was quite, it was quite moving watching it. And it was an interesting conversation then because um, one of the women said to the other one, that's true love, isn't it? And then the other girl said, well, I think it's commitment. I, ever the diplomat, said, I think those two terms are probably fairly synonymous because I think that's what love is. Love is a commitment of lifestyle. It's not so much a feeling. Now, I, I don't doubt that he has strong feelings about the woman who was presumably his wife. But that's what love and marriage is about. The concern of the Bible is not divorce. The concern of the Bible is marriage. And you can actually have separated what God has joined and still be living in the same house. Divorce is kind of like the death certificate. It's saying something about something that's already happened. The concern of the Bible is that if you're married or thinking about marriage, you understand that it's to do with loving the the other person, forgiving the other person, and being as committed to them with all their failures as God is to you with all your failures. That's what marriage is about. And that's why I think there, almost always there are better options than divorce. But marriage is it's a unilateral commitment from both people, but it only works if there's a bilateral commitment. Do you know what I mean? So 
you as a husband or a wife are unilaterally committed to the person you're married, married to. But the marriage is only real if, the, if there's both people are committed to it. Once one person says, no more. There really is nothing the other person can do. Uh, and the Bible certainly allows people to marry who've been divorced, who've actually been in the wrong. Uh, God is happy to say he sent Israel away. Uh, and then the other thing that's just as common now is people get left and are often treated, I think even in my own limited experience and the experience of people at the churches I've served at. And not so much me, I was married for 28 years, so there's more grounds to say, Ian, you know, you've been a massive contributor, but I know people who were left after 12 months, horrendously betrayed, and yet they've said to me that they have, they have felt this implicit thing, if you'd been a half-decent wife, she, he would not have left. Um, now that may just be in this person's head, although I don't think it is just in their head. I think sometimes there is a feeling people who've not gone through divorce uh, have that, you know, if you're any good at this marriage thing, it won't happen to you. I think that's uh, a false comfort. Any other points you want to make, folks? Can right. we, we talked, we didn't get to talk, we're talking about thinking about setting up a, a blog thing on this. Should we do that from our Facebook site or our website, do you think? You can tell them how it's going to work and then just tell me how it works. Just in case to be useful. If no one wants to say anything, I'll be delighted, frankly. Okay, thanks, Ian. Uh, obviously a difficult topic, uh, uh, so thank you for dealing with that quite sensitively. Uh, just a bit of information about what's coming up at City Bible Forum. Uh, next week we have the last of Ian's series on love, God and small things. And his talk next week is on the topic... Uh, must love always end in tears? So I hope that you'll come and join us for that. Uh, inside the outline we've got today, just a little bit of uh, a request for feedback. So if you've got a few minutes just to fill that in, that would be helpful. Um, the first line talks about Christianity Explored. Um, I'm going to be running uh, over the next couple of weeks. So Ian's finishing his series of talk next week. But in the two weeks after that, I'll just be uh, here at the pub open to have lunch with anybody and just to uh, read the Bible briefly together. So if you'd like to do that, just tick that first box there. Now, in that, that next two weeks after... So Ian's next week, then it's two-week break. Then we're back on May the 2nd. Uh, you may be aware of our, the forum that we run. Uh, the forum on, on May the 2nd will feature Dr Philip Nitschke. Uh, Dr Nitschke is an advocate for uh, voluntary euthanasia. Uh, we'll be having him in a discussion with an advocate against uh, voluntary euthanasia, a lady called, uh, I think it's Catherine Lennon, and uh, a third person yet to be decided. And we're going to discuss this whole issue of euthanasia, life and death and who decides. Uh, it's an important discussion, particularly if you've got anyone who is ill uh, in the family or, or aged. Uh, I personally have a cousin who committed suicide uh, because he faced a lifelong, a, a life full of uh, chronic pain. So it's, it's, uh, it's a very topical issue, this whole issue of euthanasia. So I hope you'll uh, come, uh, bring friends and uh, join us in that. Uh, that's all for now, folks. Uh, we're, we're finished. I'm going to hang around for a while. If people want to stay and have lunch uh, at the pub, I'll be willing to, to meet and chat with people. That'd be fantastic. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for Ian's last talk. Thanks, man. 
The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.